0: Teach me to know your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will now glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Almighty and eternal God. From the beginning, you have never been silent, alone, aloof, away from your creation. You have always been our eloquent God, ever speaking a strong and redemptive word to us. In Jesus Christ, your eternal word to us become flesh like us. You lived among us. In him, we hear your final word, your yes to your entire creation. In him also we hear our own amen, returning to you in thanksgiving and in prayer. As you have invited us, so now inspire us, so that in all we say and do we echo and repeat the blessing you have already pronounced upon the world. In the name of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Grace
1: and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. Christ welcomes all, and so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would kindly sign the friendship pad, which should be on the inside edge of your pew. If you'll sign your name and send it down the pew and back again, we will be able to greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. And likewise, we would be delighted if everyone would join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, air-conditioned Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, we will find the opportunity to gather together with one another and, and greet one another in the name of Christ. I'd like to highlight just a few things from the back portion of your bulletin. The first is to say that there are still opportunities to participate in the time capsule honoring our 325th anniversary, and there is a sign-up sheet for that on the uh, hall, on the bulletin board in the hallway outside the church office. And the second is for uh, those members of our congregation, particularly that have young families. There is a meet and greet set to meet the Reverend Laura Coley at the Mellie's home on next Sunday at 10 a.m. If you'd like to participate in that, kindly send Rebecca a note so that she may, number one, be able to expect you, and number two, tell you where she lives. So with these things noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin.
0: In every way, we demonstrate to everyone that we are sinners. Acknowledging this is the first step towards healing. Let us join together in our common prayer of confession. Merciful and gracious God, we confess our sin. Our ways have not been right. Our motives have not been pure. Our hearts have not been grace-filled. We have not fulfilled the holy calling to be your people, showing your grace and mercy to the world. We have not shared as we might. We have judged where we should not. We have not loved as you call us. We have focused on ourselves and our desires and not on the needs of others. Forgive us, we pray. Make us ever more mindful that your providence and grace are sufficient for all our living. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Let us continue our prayers privately and silently. these words of assurance. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, proclaimed among, us, among you by us is not an ambiguous blend of yes and no. In him it was and is always yes. He is the yes pronounced upon all of God's promises, every one of them. That is why when we give glory to God, it is through Jesus Christ that we say, Amen. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our epistle lesson for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. Listen for the word of God to you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit Bearing witness with our spirits that we are indeed children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. And I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed. For the creation waits with longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, But not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here ends the first lesson. The gospel lesson is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then skipping to verse 36 through 43. Now Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who has sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, well, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he replied, no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him and said, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and to be burned up in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evil doers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Here ends the gospel lesson.
1: Our final reading of scripture comes to us from the 139th Psalm, the first 12 verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where may I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word
2: of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty,
1: eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There was a feel-good video that made the rounds a few years ago. It begins with an adorable red-headed boy raiding the pantry in his Brooklyn home. He goes to the drawer and takes all of the Twinkies and stashes them in his knapsack. Then he goes to the refrigerator, procures two bottles of apple juice and adds them to his supplies. At just this moment, his mother walks in and asks him, where are you off to? The little boy replies, I am going to find God. His mother intrepidly says, good luck, dinner is at 6, don't be late. At this point, the video requires either substantial suspension of disbelief or a robust endorsement of free-range parenting because then the little boy goes out the front door of his home, proceeds to the subway, which he takes into the city before then walking by himself unsupervised to what appears to be Central Park. The camera then turns its gaze to a park bench where a somewhat ragged but otherwise well-groomed middle-aged woman is sitting behind a large shopping bag with another one beside her. Her sweatshirt is torn but clean, and her clothes are worn. She eyes the little boy with a mix of wariness and not quite suspicion. Then the little boy, sitting at the other end of the bench, reaches into his bag and takes out the first pack of Twinkies. He opens it, and just as he is about to put the cake into his mouth, he stops and turns to the woman on the other end of the bench and offers her the other cake from the pack. She breaks into a beatific smile as they share their sweets on the park bench. When they have finished, he takes out the apple juice and hands one bottle to her before opening his own. They tap bottles with one another, toasting each other, and again she breaks into a broad smile. When it is time to go, the little boy and the woman embrace. As he comes back into his house, his mother smiles at him and says, Did you find him? And the boy replies, God is a woman, Mom. And he has, she has the most beautiful smile. The scene then flips to the woman. She is walking down the sidewalk carrying her heavy bags. And she is beaming. She sits down next to an elderly woman on the curb, and the other woman asks, why are you in such a good mood? And the smiling woman replies, I just ate Twinkies in the park with God. He's much younger than I expected. Where does this story get the shine of good news to it. What exactly about it is it that warms our hearts and in some way causes us to pause and think good thoughts? I am going to hazard a guess that it affirms something about humanity that we want to believe is true. At a fairly basic level, we want to know that people are honest. And we want the folks who are across from us, whether that be on a park bench or across a boardroom table, to be good. One of the great affirmations of humanity that we find in scripture is the phrase we read this morning, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You and I have the potential for great kindness and generosity. There are in you and in me Fertile places for the seeds of kindness and generosity to take root. At times, it may be as simple as the exchange of a look, returning eye contact with eye contact, acknowledging our shared humanity in gestures as simple as, for instance, sharing a Twinkie. There are myriad ways that we can spread the seeds kindness, and find in ourselves the fruits that grow from such good seeds. I wonder if that is what Jesus meant when he preached about the good seeds being flung out into the world, reminding us that all that is good, all that is kind and generous proceed from the gracious. Abundance of God. I read these words of Scripture and I am reminded of the poetic words of Richard Wilbur that the world's fullness is not made but found. Life hungers to abound and pour out its plenty for such as you and such as me. Perhaps that is the root of Pope Francis's admonition to generosity. You may recall his teaching on giving to those who beg. In 2017, in an interview with the magazine Scarpe de Tennis, which means tennis shoes, a monthly for and about the homeless and marginalized, the Pope said that giving to someone in need is always right. But what, the article asks, if someone uses the money for, say, a glass of wine, a perfectly Milanese question. His answer, if a glass of wine is the only happiness he has in life, that's okay. Ask yourself, what do you do on the slide? What happiness do you seek in secret? Another way to look at it, the pope said, is to recognize how you are the luckier one, with a home, with a spouse and children, and then ask why your responsibility to help should be pushed off onto someone else. Then he posed a greater challenge. He said that the way of giving is as important as the gift. You should not simply drop a bill into a cup and walk away. You must stop. Look the other person in the eyes. Touch his or her hand. Truly, the Pope's words capture the heart of looking at the other and seeing the good work of God fearfully and wonderfully made, the seeds of God's goodness spread about with reckless abandon. And I'm not naive. I do understand that such an approach means running at odds with what many of us have been taught about giving. Perhaps what we ourselves believe about giving. It is risky. The odds of being taken advantage of are high. And yet, still, kindness and generosity are what is called for from us in Christian discipleship, not withdrawal. And distance, even if that risks the possibility of being used. It all puts me in mind of an old story about C.S. Lewis. He was walking one day down the streets of Oxford and a beggar asked him for money. He gave the man a few coins and continued on his way, but meanwhile, his companion, recoiled in horror at the professor's actions. Professor Lewis, surely you know, he is only going to spend that money on liquor and cigarettes. The story goes that the Oxford Don paused and replied, well, that's all I was going to spend it on. Generosity, kindness, They are building blocks of humanity. They are the pieces by which God knits us together, fearfully and wonderfully. And that's good news, but what about when it doesn't work out that way? What about the moments when we encounter what we might be tempted to quote Jesus and call bad seed. Jesus doesn't mean the people, mind you. Jesus has a very soft spot for sinners. But the actions, the attitudes, the assumptions, the demeaning of humanity, what about when that's what we encounter? I've never forgotten a time I went to buy pork chops in Atlanta. And let me just interject here. Everything you have ever heard about Atlanta drivers is true. I have seen demolition derbies that are more orderly than the public's parking lot. I pulled in, and this van came barreling at me down the wrong way of a line of cars. I slammed on my brakes and veered my car off to the right. At that very moment, the van driver slammed on his brakes and veered the other direction, and no harm was done. Then the van driver rolled his window down, mouthing the words, I'm sorry, and motioned for me to roll my window down, too. And that's when he told me, I've just moved here from Alabama, and I cannot find work. My three little boys are with me, and I need money to buy groceries. I will give you my tools. Will you please help me?" And of course, I couldn't say no, so I replied, come into the Publix with me and let's see what we can do. He replied, can we go to Kroger? The public's manager won't let me back in. That's why I was driving so fast. Bizarrely, the two, re- the two grocery stores were right beside each other. So we went literally around the corner to the Kroger. And he picked out milk and cereal, a gallon of detergent, some hot dogs and buns, all the things you would expect the father of three small boys to pick up. I threw in a pack of Twinkies for good measure, paid the bill, and gave him the name of a social services agency that we supported at the church. I wished him luck, and I went back in to get my pork chops. Well, a few weeks later, I was in a committee meeting with other members of the congregation, and I was recounting this story in order to underscore the need for what we were doing as a congregation in our community, and that's when a member of the congregation interrupted me. He asked Did he drive up to you really fast and slam on the brakes? Yes. Did he tell you he was from Alabama and he had three small boys? Yes. Did he offer you his tools? Yes, that too. He does that at Starbucks also. Now, it's really easy in such moments to make someone else's misfortune entirely about yourself. And I confess that I thought such thoughts, as Anne Lamott says, would make Jesus want to drink gin straight out of the cat dish. It is not the sort of moment that leaves one contemplating humanity as fearfully and wonderfully made. If we're being honest, other adjectives spring to mind in such moments, when we allow ourselves to indulge our less charitable thoughts. It's the sort of moment that leaves one perhaps wishing to take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea. There are just some moments when you need a break from the humanity. But a break from humanity also means a break from God. Do you know what the wings of the morning are? They are the first rays of sunlight that bounce off the clouds as the sun is rising, heralding a new day. The ancient Israelites may not have had our technology, but they had poetry and metaphor to match anyone. And they knew nothing can fly further and faster than light. So to take the wings of the morning is a metaphor for getting the heck out of Dodge. And do you remember what the limits of the sea represent in the Bible? The sea is not a coastal idyll. It is the dwelling place of Leviathan. It is where Jonah walked the plank while he was running from God. The sea is that which separates the land where the clean people of Israel lived and all the rest of the Haram in the Gospels to take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea is to do your dead-level best to cut yourself off from humanity and to cut yourself off from God. I hope that's not an appealing uh, appealing option, but I suspect sometimes it might be. But God doesn't settle for that. That's the good news in the psalm. God does not accept that outcome. When the psalmist can think of no more complete manner of escaping from God and humanity, the humanity for which God made us, fearfully and wonderfully, finally, The psalmist acknowledges that resistance is futile. God simply will not go away. And God will not allow us to throw others away. Wheat and tares together sown, good seeds and bad seeds, good deeds, and bad deeds. Don't be too quick to assign virtue or vice, because it is, after all, God who is the judge. So uh, perhaps we do well not to get into the habit of identifying the wheat and the weeds. In plain truth, it's way too easy to get on the wrong side of the roundup when we do that. Instead, look inward. Inward to our deepest selves, knowing that there is nowhere God cannot go and will not go with us and for us. Look to our deepest selves. Even there God is with us, so let us look inward and tend the garden there a bit. And as we do so, remember this, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, Even the darkness is not night to you, the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
0: have joined our voices in praise of God, let us also join our voices together in the faith of the Church. People of the Good News, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and the light everlasting. Amen. People for whom all this is true are a people motivated by gratitude, a desire to give back for all that has been given to us. At this opportunity, we offer all people listening and far to make their gifts as they have already determined. Please be generous and bountiful you may bring your offering forward here to the plates or leave them in the baskets at the back after the service you may also give online information is available for this on our website let us worship god with our gifts Generous and bounteous, God, we thank you for all your gifts to us, except these gifts as tokens of our lives, and use them and us in your service to your world, in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. These are the words of the psalmist. The heavens, the heavens tell out the glory of God. The vault of heaven reveals God's handiwork. One day speaks to another. Night with night shares its knowledge. And this without speech or language or the sound of any voice. Let us pray to this God. Lord God, our creator and sustainer, you who made the universe by speaking a single word, and who made us alone of all your creatures to be speakers, readers, writers, ambassadors, heralds of good news to all humanity, and a voice for all of mute creation. You know the strange silence which unnaturally surrounds our lives. Illness quiets our cheerfulness. Sorrow mutes our joy. Fear silences our protest. Ignorance silences our ability to teach. Oppression intimidates our outrage. Injustice renders us speechless. Merciful God, whoever calls to us in Holy Spirit to take the harder road to freedom, break through our silence by the power of your life-giving word and restore to us our human power of speech so that our prayers, our songs, our witness may be heard, and our cries of protest and objection, and our words of compassion and assurance may also be heard. This day we pray, as always, for the sick. We pray for the grieving. We pray for the angry and the abused. We pray for the neglected and the lonely. We pray for the victims of accident, vice, violence, oppression, famine, and war. We pray for those who have found the courage and love to speak out, We pray for the teachers of wisdom and truth. We pray for the prophets of righteousness. We pray for the proclaimers of good news. We pray for the bearers of glad tidings to all who mourn. We pray for all who have been punished for speaking the truth, for defending the weak, or for protesting injustice. We thank you for all those who have gone before us, pointing us in the way we need to go. We pray for those who are departed from us, yet still present to us. We pray for those who, here in our nation, have by their sermons, by their songs, by their inspiration, have kept us going. We praise before you, especially this day, Tony, who spanned generations with a cheerfulness, and a joy, and a zest for life that all could recognize and smile with. We thank you that he, too, was inspired to crusade for justice. May we all take our inspiration from such examples as this. All powerful, active, eloquent God, even as your word does not go forth without action or return to you empty, so to guard us in all our words against the impotence of mere chatter. Convict us by our own speeches, so that all our words and prayers are followed by deeds of love and justice. May your will be shown as well in how we conduct our lives. We ask all these things in the name of the one who was and who still is your final word to us in life and in death, Jesus Christ our Lord who taught us to pray when he said these words, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom
1: Well the way I see it is if I didn't make myself fearfully and wonderfully and you didn't make yourself fearfully and wonderfully then clearly only God could have done it and if God did it for you and me that means God did it for our neighbors and that's a that's a lovely thought to depart on but this is the point where I'm going to stop preaching and start meddling if God did it for our neighbors that means God did it for all of our neighbors so when someone is on your last nerve try thinking to yourself you dear friend are fearfully and wonderfully made and when you've done that for a while you can move on a little further out in the concentric circles of people who annoy you, the politician whose views you absolutely cannot abide, the neighbor who makes noise at 7 a.m., the person who steals soda at the fountain using a water cup that is clearly not a soda cup. I could go on, you get the idea. And when we have done all of that, when we can see our neighbors we cannot abide and understand that they too Are fearfully and wonderfully made, we've just begun to understand the scandal of the gospel. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.